ahead and grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with. I say it every single week. We are a church that believes in taking notes because God will show you some things. It's important to jot those things down. I want to encourage you uh, as the Holy Spirit opens up maybe a verse or an idea. Jot those things down so you can remember them. So it's not like you go to lunch and you're like, that was a really good verse. I don't remember what it was, but it was really good. And so along your spiritual journey, it's good to jot some things down. Uh, You can pull out the Victory Church app as well. It's a great place to keep the notes. We have a fill-in-the-blank version for you. Summer has hit everybody, so fill-in-the-blank is king. We are going to be, if you would like all of the verses and points that we're going to have today, you can find that in the app. Save it to your phone. Great place to keep some notes. All right, so we are studying the book of 2 Timothy. Paul is writing this letter. This is the last letter we have from Paul. And he's writing it to his protege, Timothy, who's a young leader in the church at the time. And Paul is writing to him, sitting in a prison cell in Rome. And he's sitting isolated, awaiting his execution at the hands of the Roman government. And he's writing to young Timothy in a climate of chaos and persecution. The church is under incredible persecution. Nero has burned the city of Rome and blamed the Christians. And so not only in Roman Empire, not only in that area of the world, but all over the known world at the time, Christians are being persecuted for their faith. And Paul is writing to Timothy and he's saying, look, as I get ready to go see Jesus, as I'm finishing up this race that I've been called to run, I'm I'm ending this whole thing. I understand my death is near. I'm writing to you that you're going to have to continue this thing called the church, continue reading and and living and exhorting the body of Christ. He's writing to him saying, I'm writing to kind of pass the mantle. I'm saying, okay, this is the end of my life, but I'm giving you. And so we've been looking at things that Paul tells him to always remember. As he passes this mantle of spreading the gospel, of building churches, of, of just doing all of these things, the work of the kingdom. He's telling him, always remember. Always remember to fan into flame the gifting that you have. Always remember to exhort and to keep hot your relationship with the Lord. Always remember to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit. Always remember. And we are doing, consequently, kind of the same thing along with this series. It's why we started Victory Midweek. It's why we have this to grow together. Because we're, we're learning the things that Paul is telling Timothy. To always grow in your faith. To grow in the word. To keep the fire of the Holy Spirit hot in your life. To continue to seek Him. And then on the flip side, we're joining that with our Wednesday nights where we are growing together as a church. We're leaning into this. We're learning the Word. We're going as deep as we can. We're continuing to learn every Wednesday night. So I would just encourage you, put it on your calendar. If you're saying, well, it's just Wednesdays or it's just something, I'll I'll catch it on the flip. If you're thinking that, just I would just encourage you as your pastor, is put this on your calendar. Pick a couple of Wednesday nights. Come and grow with us. And then I would also say on the side of that, it's an opportunity to serve. And so maybe one time a month, maybe you come three weeks, you come up and you're in the adult classes or you're doing the different ministries around. But then maybe one week out of the month, you can serve in one of our youth or our kids zone or our nursery that you can pour into the next generation. So if God has called you to be like the Navy SEAL of the church, come on somebody, we would love to have you like kicking the devil in the teeth, pouring into the next generation. It's an opportunity. And listen, if you've never done that, we don't like you show up and we're like, here's 30 kids, good luck, all right? That's not how it works. If you would like to volunteer on those, we always train, we always give you in your comfort zone how you'd like to be able to lead and to pour into. But I believe every single Christian has an opportunity and has an obligation To raise up the next generation after us. I believe that's in our obligation as Christians. is to share what we have learned and what we have gone through. That we're able to pour into the next generation. So that happens on Wednesdays around here. So we're growing. And so Paul is writing to Timothy 
he's writing to him, always remember. So we've taken each week and we've done a chapter, four chapters in Second Timothy. It'll be a four-week series. In chapter 1, he wrote to him and said, always remember to fan into flame the gifts that you have received, these gifts of the Spirit that each one of us has. That as a Christian, we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what he has called us to do. And so Paul writes to Timothy, he's like, fan into flame this gift. Now, Timothy's gift, he had told him, fan into flame is to preach the gospel. It's to share the word. It's to raise up churches, which at the time is incredibly dangerous. Like Paul's about to lose his head for doing this. And he's like, hey, Timothy, I think you should do it too. I think you need to step into this mantle and continue to preach the gospel. And then so he follows verse 6. He follows it with verse 7 that says, for God has not given you a spirit of fear. Fan into flame these gifts you have because you don't have a spirit of fear. You have a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. That's how we're going to reach this world. That the spirit has empowered us, has given us the love of Christ that we share with others. And then a sound mind that we're able to step into the chaos of this world and preach the gospel. That's what he has empowered us with. And then in week two, last week, we talked about how always remember, always remember that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. He tells, he tells, he tells Timothy in chapter 2, he's like, hey, always remember what this thing we call the church is rallied around. That it's not rallied around a particular building, it's not rallied around a particular thing or a country. or an, It's rallied around the simple fact that Jesus is alive. That's why we do what we do. And so he tells him, always remember, always remember that we live our lives for a different purpose. And he says, as soldiers, we are in the army of God enlisted to do what our commanding officer Jesus has told us to do. And then he says, as athletes, we discipline ourselves so that we're running the race the correct way by the rules that are set. And then he says, as farmers, we are sowing so we would reap a harvest, a blessing, not in this life, but in the life to come. So he says, always remember that Jesus is alive. If you missed any of those, you can jump online and check out parts one or two. Today, we get to jump into chapter three. So open up your Bible, chapter three. Chapter three talks about a world of uncertainty. It talks about a world of uncertainty, and then it goes on to talk about the firm foundation that we stand on. So Paul kind of starts the chapter, he kind of starts it kind of giving Timothy, okay, this is where the shaky parts are. And then he ends the chapter talking about this is the foundation we have so that we are no longer swayed by the opinions of people or the culture of the world that we live in. Let's start in verse 1. He says, but mark this, young Timothy, mark this, there will be terrible times... In the last days. Now this term, this last days he's talking about is not like the Monday and Tuesday before the Lord comes back. All right. That's not what he's he's referring to. What Paul is referring to in this, the last days, is talking almost from the beginning of the church till the Savior returns. And so Timothy has some terrible times in his seasons of terrible. We have terrible times in ours. But Paul is saying these will mark this time. There will be seasons of incredible difficulty. Incredible. And Timothy experiences them in his generation as well. And I think it's funny. I've talked about this before. I think it's funny that every generation since Christ has thought that they were the last generation. And we too have decided that we might be the last generation. We see some of the things, but whether or not this is the last things, we are living in our last days. You understand me, everybody? And so when we see these things... When we choose how we react to how the world and the culture is around us, I hope that we'll lean more towards what Paul is talking about and how Paul counsels Timothy how he should live than the fear and the chaos that we tend to let ourselves get caught up in. Because we certainly see signs of all the things that Paul's talking. He's like, there's going to be some terrible times in these last days. That's word terrible in the Greek New Testament. It actually means, watch this, literally the word it means, we'll throw it up there in just a second. It won't come up there. That word terrible, it actually means fierce or harsh. 
It means dangerous or savage. You guys didn't know Paul was like down with the times. Like Paul is like, it's savage out there, everybody. It's just dude. And all people over 20 years old are like, I don't know what he's talking about. It's just going to be, come on, somebody. I'm training you for youth ministry. That's what we're going to do. It's savage. You got to be savage to be just last out there. Well, what we're going to see, he says, it's difficult times, terrible, dangerous, savage times out there. Well, what would we see that would make it so terrible? What would make the times so horrible? What would we have to be prepared for? What is Paul warning? Well, I love this verse too. He says, it's people. People, everybody. People are what make this world so high. Because come on, somebody. Don't you know everything in your life seems to be connected to people? Jot it down if you're taking notes. When God wants to bless your life, he sends a person. And when the devil wants to destroy your life, come on, somebody. He sends a person. Come on, we just... Some of you are like underlining that like seven times. You're like, yes, I understand. He's saying everything good, everything bad, most everything in your life, you can trace back to a person. And so Paul's warning Timothy, he's like, there's some people that are about to get sideways. There's some people about to get pretty messed up. So let's go back through the next several verses and then we'll come back and kind of outline this section of the chapter. What's so wrong with these people? Well, they'll be lovers of themselves. They'll be lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure. I got to take a breath, everybody. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Here's the kicker in verse five, where he says a form of godliness, but denying the power. Because look, when you look at these verses on the face of it, probably as you're reading these, or if you've read this in your devotion, as you go through this list, in your mind, you're probably thinking about the world. You're probably reading this list and you're thinking, okay, this is the culture we live in. This is the world around us. But listen to me, we shouldn't expect, like it couldn't be a, shouldn't be a shock to you. We shouldn't expect the world to live like Christ followers. I don't know if you understand that or not. It's always funny to me when people come to me and want to talk about so-and-so. And I ask, are they a follower of Christ? And then all the rest of it, doesn't. we shouldn't expect people who don't follow Jesus to want to live like a follower of Jesus. And so you shouldn't expect it in your life. We, it, you should just go ahead and expect that the world would lose its mind, that the world would be crazy. And the Bible prophesied it would grow more and more wicked as we progress. That it would get worse and worse. And of course the Bible is right and it rings true. And so we see that happening all around us. Shouldn't be a surprise. The big problem with this text, as he's warning Timothy, as he's saying these are the people, this is how they'll live, is he's not talking about atheists. He's not talking about what Paul is talking about in this. These are people who would call themselves Christians. These are people who would call themselves followers of Christ. These are people, they'll be hanging out in church. They'll have a form of godliness. They know when to raise that hand. They know when maybe to give or to serve or to come every week. They know those different things. But in their lives, these are the lives that they're living. In their own lives, in the way that they treat their marriages, in the way they treat their kids, in the way they spend their finances, in the way that they spend their time. There's no spiritual fruit showing up in their life. They're not leaning into the Holy Spirit's power to do what God has called them to do. And so it shouldn't be shocking to us if Paul gave us a list of those who are not following Christ. But it should be shocking when he says these are ideas that have crept into the church. These are ideas that have crept and there's not real change in their life. They're as far from the power of God to change them as anyone else who doesn't have this form of godliness. Now listen to me. There is not 
a thing on this list. Listen to me. This morning is not about pointing a finger. And this morning is not about giving you ammunition to go out and fire at everybody in your life. Because if it is, go ahead and just leave right now. All right, everybody? Just go. But I think it's important for us to look at Paul's challenge to Timothy as a warning. Because if this thing has crept into the church, chances are some of us are struggling with some of these. It's a time for self-reflection. I told you this entire series, we're taking a look. And so there's this expectation. Because this, I don't know if you know this or not, but all of us are born broken. All of us are born in sin. All of us are messed up. And it's the power of God that changes us. Not that we are so special. Not that we have suddenly come to the place where we can work it out. Yeah. That all of us have need of the expectation. All of us have the power of God to change our lives. And then there's this expectation when we come to Christ. There's this expectation that then we would go on this journey. This biblical word called sanctification. It's just a big word meaning like improvement, right? Like becoming more and more like Christ. Like that's what we should be doing. Because the message of the cross, I've told you this before, is always come as you are, but it's never stay as you are. That you should be, in, there should be the power of God in your life to continue to change us, to be more and more like Christ. That's the end. We say here at Victory, we're here to help you move from where you are to where God wants you to be. That sanctification, this idea is happening in our lives. And we'll see that again, that the power of God to change us, the power of his word to sanctify us. But this particular group that Paul is talking about, they just continue talking the same, living their lives the same, spending their money the same, treating their marriages the same, raising their kids the same, spending their time the exact same. There's no change in their life. Even viewing themselves and their sin the same. And so Paul's warning Timothy, he's like, they have a form of godliness. And Paul's like, don't have anything to do with such people. Don't let them into the influence over your life. Don't spend all of your time letting them speak into. Don't let them try to speak over the way you raise your kids. Don't let them try to speak into the way you treat your spouse. Have nothing to do with these kinds of people. Why? Because we have to protect ourselves. Because honestly, like I said, if this has crept into the church, there's probably a lot of us that struggle with some of these things. That we've allowed it to influence us. And so Paul's talking about honestly identifying this in the church. We've got to purify ourselves. That we would live lives before God that are holy. Live how he has called us to be. In the first category, we kind of work through this list. First heading, you can jot it down, is those who would just be ungodly. Paul talks about this, he said ungodly. Check it out, verse 2, he says that people will be lovers of themselves. Self-worship. Elevating themselves to the place of God. Elevating themselves to the top place in their lives. Psalms 10 says this way. It says that in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. Talking about God. In all his thoughts... There is no room for God. So not even that he doesn't believe that he exists or not. That's not what he says in his thoughts. Even if he believes he exists, there is no room for him. In all the thoughts that he had, there's no room for God. It's by what you would call a practical atheist. Where somebody's like, I'm going to cover all of the bases. But then he's saying in his thoughts, there is no room. Because a study showed that probably the majority, over maybe 80, 90% of our country believes in some kind of higher power. Some kind of God existence, some kind of power greater than us. But then less than 10% say it actually affects the way they live their lives. That should be shocking to us. But honestly, if we looked at ourselves or maybe those around us with an honest eye, it's not so shocking after all. Because they may, people that come to church, they may agree that yes, there might be a higher power, there might be a God. But then in the way that they treat their marriages, in the way that they live their lives, the way they spend their money, and the way that they spend their time... There is no room for God. He might be there, but it's not going to affect the way that I live because I know how to live and I know how to get mine and I know how this thing should go. 
And there's no room in their thoughts. And he goes on to say there are lovers of themselves. And then there's also lovers of money. Lovers of money. They're serving the God of this world. One of the strongest false gods. Listen to me. The strongest false god you can encounter is the love of self. It's this elevation of ourselves into the place of God. This idea of worshiping ourselves and how we feel and what we think is right and how we feel pleasure. And whatever the things we want to worship ourselves. The second strongest is the love of money. And Paul actually wrote... In 1 Timothy, he warned Timothy in his first letter. He says, money promises us all the things. Listen, he writes him, he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Because money promises all the things that God promises. You understand that, right? It tries to promise you significance. It tries to promise you safety and security. It tries to promise you future and hope. It tries to promise you happiness and joy. It's a false God that falls short of every single promise that is made. If you just had more money, it tries to say, you would have all of these things. And all those rich people who have failed, they just didn't know how to use their money correctly. You would know how to be happy with a lot of money. And so he writes this warning in 1 Timothy. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I love that Paul writes the love of money. Because listen to me, you don't have to have money to worship it. You understand that, right? A lot of us think, I just don't have money yet, so it's not a problem for me. Listen, you have no money at all, and you can be ensnared by the love of it, by chasing. Because Paul says, in some people craving money, they might not even have it, but they crave it, have wandered away from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. People can fall into worshiping money. and You don't have to have it to fall into the trap. And so we see it all the time in the modern church that people will say they follow Christ. With their mouth, they will say, I'm a follower of Jesus. With their actions, every time we run across a family that's truly in need or a person that we can help, that we've been blessed, every time we come across somebody that we could give towards, that we could help prop up, or that we, we clutch so tightly what God has given us freely. And so Paul is writing to Timothy, don't let the love of money, don't let this false God set itself up in your life. Don't let it get its clutches into you. This love of money that would take you down if you let it, it will drown you. And listen to me, giving to others, being a blessing to somebody's life is how we break the curse of money off of our own. I tell you guys, love that today. It's quiet in here. Listen, listen to me. I'm just preaching you the word today, all right? I'm just giving you. Listen, God doesn't need your money, but he does want your heart. He doesn't need your money, but he wants your heart. And so when we have these opportunities to bless someone else, when we have these opportunities to live lives free of the love of money, but it said there'll be people in church who love money. So we should worship God and use money because money's just a tool. But so many people want to worship money and try to use God. And so Paul is writing to Timothy and he's warning him. He said, people are going to be lovers of themselves. Back to our text, lovers of money. And that leads them to be boastful. It leads them to be boastful, to be proud, to be abusive. Verse 4, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Isn't it true that in our culture, it's influencing all of us, this kind of hedonistic culture of self-pleasure, of self-love, Of saying, okay, what makes me happy and what makes me feel good and what makes me, to the farthest extent that I can, what makes me feel joy in this life, whatever feels good, I'll do it. This worship of self, it's elevated itself above God and it's just an ungodly perspective. And maybe it's a form of godliness. So we're attending church, we're going through the motions, but we're not acknowledging him in our lives. We're not submitting to him in the things that we do. We're just saying it with our lips and our hearts are far from him. What it often leads to is this second category, and that's undisciplined. Not only are they ungodly, but they're also undisciplined. Paul says in verse 2, he says, disobedient to parents. And then later on in verse 3, he says, without self-control. One's what happens in childhood, and the second is the end result when they reach adulthood. 
So he says he has the disobedience, this culture of disrespect in the family, and then it leads to self-control issues when they grow older. Unfortunately, we live in a culture, even amongst Christians, even in the church, where kids are out of control. Hello, everybody. My name is Ben, and I am your friend, and so I don't want to be confrontational or offensive today, but listen to me. Somebody needs to tell you, your kids are out of control. All the grandparents are clapping with me. Come on, somebody. All the, we're like, amen, baby. Yeah, just let them know. it. Now, listen to me. As a parent, it stinks, all right? I understand this. At being a good parent or trying to be a good parent stinks more than anything else. It is harder than anything you will ever do. It is more difficult. You need self-control that we pray for every day because we don't have it yet. Come on, somebody. It just, you need all of those things in your life. But the world will do everything it can to drive a wedge between moms and dads and their children. Everything it can to keep you from parenting your child and give you every opportunity that makes it easier to abdicate the responsibility of parenting. But we got to come back to a place, and I'm preaching to myself as well, back to a place where we look at our kids and understand the responsibility that we have been entrusted with. That there isn't this culture of disrespect in the home. Because it's worth it. All the hard work, all the things that we think we are failing at, but we are trying our best with the power of God behind us to raise our kids. It is worth it because at the end of it, you know the end result of not parenting. So what Paul talks about, they rise up with this lack of self-discipline and self-control. That there's this pattern of disrespect. They grow up without self-control or discipline in their older lives. And if they can't listen to the quiet, still voice of their parents who they can see, How will they ever listen to the quiet, still voice of the Holy Spirit who they cannot see? And so we have to learn, parents, you are robbing your children if you allow them to live with this pattern of self, of disrespect and disobedience. In fact, you are enabling them if you are mowing down every obstacle. But in the home, there is this pattern of disrespect. You're robbing them of the respectful. You're robbing them of the obedience that should be in their lives. And we see a gravitational pull in our culture today. Like I said, the world's doing everything it can to drive that wedge. To try to say, this world's working overtime from what they watch, to the apps that they're involved in, to what they play. All these things working overtime to take control of the parenting we're supposed to be providing. And giving you an easier way out to remove yourself from taking a hand in raising your kids. Now listen, I'm not saying we flush our iPads, we all move out to the desert and we stop taking showers like crazy people. All right, That's not what I am like advocating. I'm just saying that we shouldn't abdicate the responsibility we have to parent our kids. Just because the screen makes it a little bit easier to do so. We shouldn't give up the responsibility we have just because the opportunities are there to hand over the reins. All right, all six of us are that one. I'm enjoying that. So they're going to listen to me. But Paul talks about this. Now, you guys are too late. You're too late on that. All right. Paul talks about this. He's like, they'll have, they'll lose self-control. So they're going to be binge watching Netflix all they want to. They're going to be playing video games 24 hours a day. They're going to be doing all these things. They're not going to have any self-control when it comes to food or to other things in their life. Because they have been told their entire life, do whatever you want, whatever feels good, whatever keeps you quiet. And they'll lack self-discipline in their lives. And not only will we empower them, but we're going to enable it by mowing down, like I said, every obstacle that comes against. We are sabotaging our kids. The Bible says, don't be around such people. Don't let that be true of us, undisciplined. Next one is ungrateful. And honestly, this is one that we probably should take as much responsibility for as anything. We can blame the world and the culture, but listen to me. We in our own lives, isn't it so easy To become ungrateful. And it comes in stages. Things we were so grateful for a year ago. We're like, forget that. I need something more. We have, isn't it true? We have created an entire holiday called Thanksgiving. 
where our culture would slow down and say thanks for the things that we have and be thankful for the grateful for the things God has given us. And then we have sabotaged every ounce of thanksgiving out of it. We used to say thank you for the things that we have and the blessing of God's hand on our lives and thankful for community and the things he's given us and our children and our families, thankful for those. And then we would go to sleep and we would wake up and we would murder each other for 50 bucks off a flat screen TV. Come on, somebody. Like we would... At least we kept them separate. Now it has like bled into Thanksgiving Day itself. Like two, three o'clock in the afternoon. We are at the doors of wherever it is. Like the turkey's not even cold. And we are out spending money we do not have to buy things we do not need. To impress people we do not even like. Come on somebody. Like we, we, have, we have blown this thing out. We, we are so ungrateful. And it has crept into every part of our lives. We'll be sitting there watching football on our 90-inch TV, and we're like, this thing is 1080, not even 4K. Like, I am suffering for Christ here. Like, I have been, I have to have this, I am doing, we were on a road trip to Kansas with our kids uh, about a year and a half ago. We were out there in, like, the cornfields, middle of nowhere, driving to Kansas, and one of my kids is like, this device is, like, streaming 4K wirelessly on 5G, and it's buffering. Like, my life is over. In the middle, I... We have come so far in our generation, technologically, culturally, in the pleasantries and the things that we have. And we have still managed to be ungrateful. And I'm preaching to the choir here, everybody. I am in this. I will find myself and I will have to laugh at my own self for the way that I feel about some things. Where we live greater lives than any of the kings or pharaohs of the ancient world. That we, in just our average everyday life, live a thousand times better than they did. And we still find reason to be ungrateful. And it's funny too, because we have found every opportunity. Happens in the world all around us, shouldn't creep into the church. Another one is unholy. Truth is, none of us can be holy or set apart outside of God's power. None of us can be sanctified or purified. But then he says they're ignoring God's power. The one thing that could make us holy, they're ignoring it because the Holy Spirit's not in their life. They're not living lives according to what God has called them and the power that he has in their lives. There's no purification or sanctification taking place. There's nothing changing to make them more like Christ. He says unholy. And so they talk like the world. They entertain themselves like the world. They live like the world. They run around. They sleep around. They do everything like the world. There's no fruit in their life. Just unholy. And we should understand that shouldn't be a mark of the church. Paul is warning Timothy... That shouldn't be what describes us. These self-serving attributes that honestly, all of these things we've been doing, unholy, undisciplined, all these things suddenly creep themselves into our relationships and we become unloving. We look at the world around us and because we are self-pleasure, because we are our own God, because we are ungrateful, because we are undisciplined, we become unloving in the relationships. The Greek word for unloving there is simply to be without natural affection. In a lot of ways you can interpret that. But Paul is writing to Timothy, just warning him that even people in the church wouldn't understand what love is. Wouldn't understand a true definition of love, getting upside down and confused. And Paul said there'd be people in the church that would be unloving. That we would even begin to dehumanize people. Because listen to me, church, it is very easy. It is very easy to reduce people, to boil them down to just their political party or their sexual orientation. And as the church, we can ourselves fall victim to pointing the finger and unloving the people around us. Because listen to me, listen to me, we are called to love those around us. God has called us to hate sin, but to rescue sinners. Jesus came to save sinners. 
But if we spend our time with ourselves as the God of our lives and our finger pointed at every single person in hatred, we will become ineffective for the kingdom of God. That we are called not just to make a point, but to call to make a difference. That we are called to reach those around us, to love them with the love of Christ. That Jesus said, I came to find and to save sinners. That we would not fill ourselves as the God of our lives. That we would not set ourselves up as so high and mighty that we wouldn't be able to rescue people from the same filth we ourselves were rescued from. Paul's warning him, he's saying they would become unloving. And the last one our text said, he said they'd be unforgiving. What happens is we get wounded in life. We become unforgiving. We get frustrated and we get bitter and we get wounded and we put everybody in our lives in the same bucket as the person who hurt us. And we decide I'm never going to open up again. And I have a right to feel this way towards them. And I have a right to have this bitterness. And you know what happens when you hold on to that? Is you make yourself ineffective for the kingdom. You hold on to that thing from 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago and you make yourself ineffective to do anything else for the kingdom of God because we have let bitterness take root. Paul said this has crept into the church, this idea that they would be unforgiving. We make ourselves ineffective. Paul says there's no power to actually change them because they're living these lives. And guess what? It's like Paul was a prophet, everybody. It's like he just knew. Like the word is actually true. It's amazing. It's amazing what he writes about because we see this not only in Timothy's day, we see it in our own It's happening in our churches today. So what do we do about it? A few verses here at the end of the chapter that Paul begins to give Timothy. So what do we do when we see those things? What do we do if maybe we are suffering from one of these things? What do we do if we see the clutches trying to wrap itself around us or our families? Paul writes to Timothy at the end of the chapter. We'll jump down to verse 14. The answer, of course, is in God's word. He says, but you must remain faithful. To the things that you have been taught. So number one, jot it down if you're taking notes today. We got to get teached, everybody. All right? That's what we have to do. Two weeks into summer, who needs grammar? Come on, somebody. I'm going to help you out today. We got to be taught the word. We have to learn the word of God. We have to learn the word. You got to get it in your life. It's okay for baby Christians not to know the word of God. It's not okay for you to stay there. We got to learn the word of God. We got to memorize what it says. We got to take a spiritual journey of formation. Learn what the word says about our lives. Because verse 15, he says to Timothy, right? You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. So just remember giving you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Chapter one, we looked at that, that Timothy had that gift of faith. Passed on from his grandmother Lois and his mother taught and passed on to him. He was raised in a Bible-believing home. He was raised in the word of God being preached. He was raised in the truth of God's word. And you might be sitting thinking, well, I didn't have that opportunity or I didn't have that. Listen to me, you'll be the one to make that first start in your life and the generations that follow after you. You're the one who will raise your children in the word of God. Teaching them to follow God's obedience. Teaching them to follow God's guidance from your children's childhood. That's your opportunity to start that legacy of faith. Paul is writing because he says that's where Timothy will find security. He says these things have crept into the church. But the firm foundation we stand on is the word of God. He says you got to learn it. You have to have it in God's word. He continues those scriptures are what have taught you that salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. We have his word as a foundation to live the life God has called us to live. Look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says memorize his laws. So memorize them, he says. That's the command, by the way, to all of us, to parents especially. Memorize the word of God. God's instruction that we got to learn the word. we got to memorize his word. Not just like five minutes in the app every day. got to memorize the word of God. we got to write it on our hearts. Why? Because we have a world to reach. 
And we got kids to raise. And we have a generation after us that we have to show the faithfulness and the honor that we give God that is due. And so we set that example as parents. We read our Bibles. We memorize His Word. You set the example for the generation. And listen, it says, don't just tell them once. Tell them over and over and over again. All the parents said, amen. You got to tell them over and over and over. Tell them so many times. Tell them over and over. Because listen to me, when you die, and you will die. All right, everybody? I'm just encouraging this morning. All right, I'll just encourage all of you. Aren't you happy you came to church? You will die. And when you die, you know what your kids will not say? You know what they won't say? They won't say, you remember that one thing that dad or mom said like 30 years ago? No, they're not going to, you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, you remember what dad always said? You remember what mom always said? He said, tell them over and over. You got to tell them 50 times because about the 50th time is the first time they are hearing you. All right, everybody? I just want to throw that out. That, that'll bless all areas of your life. But about the 50th time is when they're finally, he says, tell them over and over and over again. And here's some examples. He said, talk about it all the time. Whether you're at home or walking along the road or driving in your car. They didn't have cars when this was written. Or going to bed at night or getting up in the morning around the breakfast table, around the dinner. Which incidentally, you should be having family time. Like there should be moments you spend as a family where you have an opportunity to tell them these things. That's not like this hurried ships crossing in the night like you see them 10 seconds and everybody goes to bed because they've got their schedule. No, you should have time. Don't let the world rob you of the time you spend with your family. Don't let the world try to take those moments away from you. Guard that time together. Guard those moments you have where you're able to share God's word. And I will be excited about that all by myself. Most of you are like, it's not possible. I don't know what he's talking about. This is not. Write down copies and tie them to your wrists and foreheads to help. He's like, just write them. Put them everywhere. Write them down. Duct tape verses to your children's foreheads. That's what the Bible is telling you here. Let him know. When I went to college, I went to college out of state. Every time I would leave for a semester, my mother would duct tape verses to the dash of my truck. Only caused like six accidents, everybody. Just like it was a... And there was not a defense in court for having dug, but write them everywhere, put them on the mirrors, put them on the doors, put them on the fridge, put them on everywhere that you would remember God's word. He's saying, put them everywhere, put them in your kitchen, put them on the bathroom, put them on the gates of your town, put them on the door frames of your homes, put them every place of your life that you'll remember what it has to say. And then John 14, this promise we have from Jesus Write them everywhere. So remind you, he says, but the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sends in my name, will teach you all these things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Parents, you've got to have the Holy Spirit in your life to remind you of what God has said, to remind you of his word. That when we are out and about, that we have this legacy of faith that we are imparting into our children, that God will continue. But you keep your relationship with the Lord. You keep it strong. He says, memorize. So he goes, says to Timothy, you need to get back to those things that you had in childhood, the firm foundation of his word. In verse 16, he says it plainly, all scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Listen to me. If there was some area in this sermon you felt convicted, listen, as much as it would make me feel good, it is not my preaching that makes you convicted about a list of things. I cannot say it eloquently enough. I cannot prepare hard. I cannot. That's not what happens. It says the Holy Spirit and the word of God. The word of God that it inspires us to be what is true. Make us realize what is wrong in our lives. But listen, not just what is wrong, but then it helps us to correct it. It helps us to correct those. It never leaves us where we are in this brokenness or shame. It helps us to correct the things. It's the firm foundation we stand on. That if we read his word, we memorize it helps us correct when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. What is right in our marriages, what's right in our families, what's right in our parenting, what's right in our jobs, what's right in the way we treat other people. It leads us in a life that we're supposed to live. 
training you to do what's right. Number two, you've got to embrace it. We've got to embrace it in life. Second Thessalonians says it this way. It says, I also thank God continually because when you received the word which you heard from us, when you received the word, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which indeed, watch this, is at work in you who believe. If you allow it, the Holy Spirit will allow God's word to come alive in your life. To be at work correcting, guiding, encouraging, lifting. The word is alive, everybody. Like it's alive. It can do a work in your life. But you got to memorize what it says. We have to learn it, but then we have to embrace the truth of his word. And then verse 17, he concludes, God's going to use this scripture, watch this, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Not only do we have to learn it and embrace it, but then listen to me, everybody, we've got to live it out. You've got to live out the word, because you can learn it till you are blue in the face. And you can say with your mouth, yeah, I embrace it and I accept it. But we've got to live out the word. We can't just say it, we've got to... We got to live it in our lives. James 1, you've heard this before. He said, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Listen to me, everybody. You may think you're pulling the wool over everybody's eyes and you may fool a bunch of people in the church. And I don't know if that makes you feel good or not. And you may, you may be able to fool pastors and friends and relatives and all the rest. But I'm telling you, it is a worthless endeavor. To go as far as to learn it, as far as to say with your mouth, you embrace it, but to never live it out. You are missing out on what God has called us to do. Doesn't matter how many people you fool, you will never fool God. We got to live it. James says, don't just, don't just hear the word. Don't merely listen and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's my challenge for us today. If we're going to advance the kingdom, if we want to see it advance, we can't let verses like this pass right over us and go back to binging the same shows, to living the same life, to doing the same things. Paul is writing to Timothy a warning that comes to us as well. We got to put the word into action to let it align our lives. We got to let God's word. And guess what? God never asks you to do something that he doesn't then empower you to do. Like the word, if you memorize it, if you learn it, if you put it into practice in your life, the word comes alive to change you, to align your life, to bless you in the areas that God needs you to be a witness and a light. That the word comes alive, but you've got to be in it. We've got to learn what it says. The word comes alive, but we've got to embrace it and agree and say, yes, I will submit myself to what God has for my life. The word comes alive, but we've got to live it out. We can't be unloving, ungrateful, uncaring, all these things, Paul. We can't have those things creep into our lives. No, we have to align ourselves with the word of God, embrace it in every area of our life, and then put it into action. Because how many know a church that has all of these attributes that Paul listed and warned about is a powerless church? But let us be a church that embraces the word of God, that memorizes his scriptures, that decides I'm going to align my life with him. Let us be a church that, yes, we fall because we are all human. Yes, we mess up, but we pick ourselves back up. We agree with the power of Christ. We can live out his word. That we align ourselves with the gift, the callings God has for our lives. We embrace it and then we live it out. Bow your heads with me as we pray today. Father, I would just pray, God, give us the strength. Give us the self-discipline. Give us the ability and the awareness of our own sins that we would seek you in every area of life. That we would stand on the foundation of your word and your principles. I want to pray today. I want to pray that God would let us have the power of his Holy Spirit. 
that he offers it freely, that it reminds us of his scripture, that it continues to guide us in what he has called us to do. Before we pray, though, I would just give one invitation today, and that is if you're here, and maybe you have lived the life that Paul is describing to Timothy, And maybe you do give lip service to this thing we call Christianity. Or maybe you do know the actions or the the things to pull the wool over people's eyes. Maybe you've lived a life of deception where you are saying one thing, but your heart is in a completely different place. And you probably feel pretty empty and broken right now. But I want you to know that there is forgiveness. And there is redemption. That right now you have an opportunity to make it right. The Bible says if we are faithful to forgive, we are faithful to confess our sins. He is faithful to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Anything on that list, God can cleanse you from. Anything on that list, God can set you free from. Or maybe you've never been close to God. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. Maybe you never had that opportunity, but you're hearing all of these things and you're thinking, yes, I want to start a legacy for my family. I want to follow after God with everything inside of me. You have an opportunity as well. That right now would be my honor to pray with you to submit your life to Christ. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I'm not going to make you come to the front. I'm not in this to embarrass you. Every eye is closed. Every head is bowed. All I want to do is connect you with the Savior. So I would just encourage you. This is a moment right now. Our church has dedicated ourselves that we will pray this prayer with any person who wants to pray it. Anyone who wants to turn their life around and follow Jesus. Because listen to me. There is redemption. He says he makes the old brand new. There is redemption for your life. There is forgiveness for your sins. But it starts with you submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. And that happens right now. If you say that's me, I want to pray that prayer. I would be honored to pray it with you. And church, we'll pray this with them. Nobody prays alone. But you say right now, I want to make that decision. Say it with me. Say these words. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sin, of all my mistakes. I repent. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. God, I thank you for every person here and for this journey of faith that we are on. God, I pray we would heed the warning that Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. God, help us not be influenced by the culture or the world around us. Help us never be influenced, Lord, by the culture of sin that surrounds us. And never be influenced, God, by our own self-desires to set ourselves up as God. Lord, let us never fall into patterns of ungratefulness or undiscipline unholiness but Lord I pray right now God give us your word as a firm foundation help us to dive into it deeper to memorize what it says to align ourselves with it give us the strength God to embrace it and Lord give us the power and the strength of your Holy Spirit to live it out that we could be the people you've called us to be we could be a light to a dark world that we could be the examples of Christ that you have called us to be ambassadors of the love you have for them as well calling all to come to salvation in Christ Jesus Lord give us we thank you I prayed over our church today God this week let us live it out let us study your word let us memorize it Lord I pray over our midweek 
coming up on Wednesday, God, let us study the word as a church. Let us memorize the things you have called us to. Embrace it. And then as James says, let us live it out in our lives. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church. Can we give God praise for what he's done today?